listening to Geek Girl Meets. Hello, hello, hello. I reckon you're sat there right now wondering where the hell has the Geek Girl Meets podcast been for the last eight months? Now, the honest answer to that, dear listener, is that I had to take a brief sabbatical from doing two of the things that I love the most, which is Geek Girl Meetup and Geek Girl Meets. Now, you may remember from the last time that you listened to this that I decided to finally set up my own business and I had the real realization that being a solo founder means that you can't necessarily do everything that you want to do when you're first setting up. And nine months later, I'm proud to say that I now have a team and it means that I can bring the podcast back. So Geek Girl Meets is back for you to listen to a weekly dose of female inspiration. We're back interviewing a long list of awesome women in business and women in tech just for you. And I'm delighted to introduce my first guests for the new run of the podcast, Rhea Grove and Liz Swanton, the co-founders of FIDA. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Well, it's exciting to have you and to be back in a studio for the first time in a really <laughs> long time. So if I if I nerd out, just know that I'm having a lot of fun and I apologize in advance. Would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourselves and your business? Of course. Uh, so I'm Rhea Grover and I'm the CEO of Feeder. We started Feeder as a tech platform to empower what we think are the the best high quality artisan food vendors in London to produce and supply meals for the workplace. You know, it's really hard to get healthy meals at work, the type of food that people increasingly want to eat. And we've made it easy for both companies um, to get that in for their teams, but also for individuals to select from daily menus and, 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 and get that food on a regular basis. Brilliant. I love the fact that you're my first interview and we've time talking about healthy eating in January where everyone right now is probably sat there going, oh yeah, that diet that I'm doing and I need to be healthy and you know, New Year's resolutions. So where are you at the moment with your business? How long have you been going? Yeah. So actually this is very timely because last week we celebrated officially our two year anniversary of incorporation. Congratulations. Officially two years, delivering a little bit less time than that in London. But over that time, we've built up a community of about 100 really high quality, healthy artisan vendors that we're incredibly proud of. We've served over 300 companies. We're at a run rate of about 75,000 years. 75,000 meals a year and on track to reach about half a million this year. We have an amazing team of 10 people now. And yeah, as Rhea alluded to, we serve people across two different products. So a group meals product and our cloud canteen product. So yeah, a lot's happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, I say that's some significant growth planned for 2018. Now, one of the questions I'm going to ask you really quickly is your accents. You're not from around these ear parts. <laughs> we get this a lot. Yes. <laughs> so where are you from originally and how come you're now in London? So I actually grew up in London and was born and raised here, but spent some time in the States. I did a, a degree in development economics there just after my undergraduate. And then I did my MBA in Boston at, at HBS a couple of years ago. And, and that's where the accent came from and it stuck. Yeah, you've got that lovely little hybrid accent. It's lovely. I think n- nobody knows where, where to really place me, which is which is okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those really, really cool international accents. It means you can just kind of blend in. Well, in I guess we're all, all people of the world now, so, so it works. But Liz actually yeah. has a legitimate reason to have <laughs> <laughs> a somewhat American accent. Well, yes, yeah, somewhat American. I'm Canadian. Okay. I'm officially American as well, so I can't fully uh, fully say that, that the American comment ever bothers me. But no, I'm Canadian and I'm from Vancouver originally, but actually ended up in London 
to do my MBA as well. So I did my MBA at London Business School here, but I came here via five years working in Southern Africa. So I've also been out of Canada for quite a while and sort of gotten here in a roundabout way. Yeah. So we can really claim people of the world yes. here. It's really <laughs> nice. So I'm going to start with my favorite question. And Ria, I'm going to put you on the spot first. What did you want to be when you were growing up? So this might not sound true, but I actually really wanted to be an entrepreneur. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I saw my parents build an awesome business, work really hard at it. And most of our dinner table conversations were about that. So I grew up with it, you know, very much in, in my blood and in my environment. And as I grew up, I always really wanted to build something that was meaningful and resonating. Okay. And Liz, what about you? Mine's, I don't even have as clear of an answer. I wanted to be everything when I grew up, if that makes any sense at all. I've always sort of wanted all of everything all the time and it would change year by year. At one point I wanted to be a doctor. At one point I wanted to be a marine biologist as I feel like a lot of people, a lot of young girls do. <laughs> yeah. I, I had like a slight fascination with dolphins and whales for yes. about a good two years at yes. some point growing up. So I totally get that. Yes. I have continued that in the fact that I've done a lot of scuba diving in my life, but did not pursue it as a career. And then I think, you know, working to build something that I'm really excited about and that really resonates and where I can build according to my vision and the vision of, you know, people that I want to partner with. That's definitely something that has been, that was always sort of on my, on my agenda. My family, also a family of entrepreneurs, and I saw sort of them being able to build something for themselves and really achieve that. And that was definitely something that I looked for growing up. Okay. And I must say now that we're doing it, exactly that the ability to sort of have a vision and and see it play through and build a team the way that you want to um, you know surround yourself by really smart people build partnerships with with really any brand that feeling of the world is your oyster is an incredible feeling it's it's very very empowering and i think it would be hard to do anything else after this so I'm going to ask one quick question now, because obviously that that feeling and that empowering sensation, I guess, that you get when you're starting up, we, we're all sat around the table here and we are female founders and that's we all kind of get that. But to someone out there right now who maybe has an idea or is thinking about starting a business, what would you say to them to try and get them to actually like do it and go over the edge? My advice would always be take the plunge, but I think it's really important to figure out before you start anything, whether A, this is something you really believe in and you're really committed to because it is a long slog. It always takes a lot longer than you anticipate. And this is something you could be in for the next five or 10 years. So it's really important to understand that. And also to be very, very realistic about yourself, with yourself about whether there's a really viable proposition. And because I think, you know, it's very easy to be excited about a product and really want to start and get going and almost kid yourself about the real feedback that you're getting or whether there's really a market opportunity or or is it is it defensible and, and can somebody else come in and do it better? And I think a lot of those things are things that you really start to think about increasingly as your business starts growing and um, that I would advise anybody to think about right from the outset. But I think if somebody really has sort of checked those two things and is still keen to start something, there's so much, there's so many support networks and support systems out there so that even if somebody is a first time entrepreneur, they can go out and, you know, build something and, and build a really helpful system around them. So I would, I would say definitely do it. There, there's no looking back and there's tons of learning you're going to get, even if it doesn't work out for that business. Was Feeder your first company? Feeder was 
my first real entrepreneurial venture when I was at Harvard. I did start a business with a friend and that really got me into tech. It, it taught me a lot about building technology products and there were some great learnings, but you know, we, we only took that to the first stage and, and you know, Peter has been has has really grown into something that is not only you know growing and 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 large in terms of sort of size and volume but in terms of the sort of stages of learning we've gone through of building a team and raising investment externally I think we're we're much further along so this is my first real business okay cool so I'm gonna you know I really want to hear kind of what your journeys have been getting to the point of well first of all meeting each other Mm -hmm. and then starting to build feeder so Liz what took you from Vancouver via Africa to land up (laughs) here in London well uh, restlessness to start as, as when I was young certainly uh, restlessness and a sense of adventure? No, um, I guess I left Vancouver for university. So I went east to eastern Canada and then started consulting straight. I did a business degree and then started with Oliver Wyman, a management consulting firm. And that's actually with them that I first went to South Africa. So I was consulting down there for a while and decided that I wanted to do something that I really cared a lot more about, right? Working hard has always been something that I am ready to do it at any point. And I, and I put a lot of myself into my work and that's always been the case, but I wanted to be doing that in something that I really cared a lot more about the outcome than I did when, what I was doing when I was consulting. And so I quit there and I joined the Clinton Health Access Initiative, which is a public health NGO focused on, I mean, I was focused on HIV. And so I worked and ran an HIV service improvement program in Swaziland for three years. And that's really where for all that it wasn't a startup, that's really where the entrepreneurial feel that I could figure out how to build something from scratch came from. And that was something I loved about the work that I was doing there was we were really testing new things that hadn't been done there, trying to push the envelope, trying to, and being allowed to take risks in a way that I think a lot of maybe, you know, nonprofit don't necessarily get as much chance to do. And that was an amazing experience. I did that for three years and then decided that I wanted to take my own personal growth further. And that's what took me to do an MBA. So that's what brought me to London. And during my time here was really where I started to feel the need for feeder and really wanted to be working in food. And I've always been passionate about it. I've always been passionate about being close to your food and really being able to eat food that you know where it comes from. Um, that's made fresh, that's just made of wholesome ingredients, and that's balanced and tastes wonderful. And I found working in London, I found that a struggle, which didn't make any sense to me because I had moved here from Swaziland. And I was like, there, there is all this great food here. Why can't I eat it at the office? That, didn't, that just didn't make any sense to me. And so I started to look at working in food tech in London and coming out of the end of my MBA, got introduced to Ria through one of my best friends, who I've known since my very first job. So sort of the journey, I guess, all all sort of comes together. Her name's Adria, and she's the founder of Maple & Fitz. So also a wonderful female entrepreneur, incredibly successful, amazing brand, my Maple & Co. here in London. And she's one of our food vendors. And so I was talking to her about her journey and sort of who she might know and be able to introduce me to in this world. And she introduced me to Ria. It's just highlighting the power of awesome <laughs> female networks, if yes. anything, right? It is. And as we've grown and as we've gone through lots and lots of challenges in terms of, you know, how to how to build our company and, and you know, reach reach the ambitious targets that we have, 
I think increasingly we'd like to we'd like to have really great female role models around Absolutely. us. You know, none of our investors are women, and like I'd, I'd love to have some female investors behind us. I think you know women take take a different approach to things, and I think they you know they they bring perspectives certainly that that the other gender doesn't. And, and it would be really cool to see sort of more balance amongst the technology community. Even when we when we go and do talks and we sit on panels and things, it's it's often, you know, we'll be the we'll be the only woman in the room. And I as much as that is changing and there are some really amazing female entrepreneurs out there, it would be so great to see more. Yeah, I agree. It was interesting. I was at Tech City UK launched the new startups mm-hmm. to join the upscale program today. And I was having a chat with Another awesome female, Diane Perlman, who's the interim CMO at Unruly. Mm-hmm. Our Sarah Wood, who's the CEO over there, is exiting. They've kind of you know done their time after the acquisition by News Corp a couple of years ago. And Diane said something that I thought was really cool, which is Sarah, who is you know an incredible role model in this industry for women in tech. She obviously gets asked to speak at a lot of things. She is now applying a rule that she will not accept speaking on a panel unless it's 50% female. That's Mm. amazing. Amazing. Yeah, which I think is great. On the the other side to that, I'm like, that's awesome. What if every man out there (laughs) that gets regularly asked to speak on a panel also said, oh, no, I'm not sitting on this unless there's 50% women on there. You know, it it was just interesting kind of hearing that tactic, given that we do ultimately want to see as many ladies as possible. Definitely. Just bossing it on stage. Definitely. So, Rhea, what was your journey? So my journey, I, I mean, as I said, I grew up here in London and after undergraduate went into finance, as so many of us did in, in the early 2000s. I think, you know, I, I did it partly because you know, it, was, it was a really credible thing to do and a lot of people were doing it. And certainly I did really enjoy my time working at Deutsche Bank. I learned a lot. I got pushed very hard, but I, I knew definitely internally that it wasn't my, my calling. And it it really took my MBA. So so I went over to, to Boston and, and spent two years doing my MBA there. It really was that experience that opened me up to the possibility that I could do anything I wanted to. And I could take the plunge into an entirely new industry, having never really had that much experience in it before. So I have had experience consulting with and working at different startups, um, both in London and in the US. But for me, feeder was certainly a big leap as in, in terms of my own personal journey as well and um, to have the confidence and to just sort of <laughs> go out and 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 start this and, and and so definitely definitely wouldn't wouldn't look back and I think entrepreneurship is now very much going to be my my part probably for the rest of my career I think that's awesome I agree with you there. I think being an entrepreneur and continuing to build companies is a really really exciting thing and I would love to see more women doing it Mm-hmm. ultimately. Yeah. So going back to other women, you know, one thing that we love to talk about here, and women that are looking at fundraising, and we kind of know the challenges that go alongside mm-hmm. that, but do you have any advice for women out there about to begin or already we in do. the fundraising <laughs> journey? I, mean, I guess my general advice to people would be numbers, like don't be afraid to lock on as many, as many, many doors as you can, because you never really know the avenues that are going to yield you success or the right introductions. It really is a dating game or a matching game where it takes a lot of people till you get to, you know, the, the person who has the right sort of risk appetite and an interest and a belief in your business. But I think advice specifically to female founders would be, we, we got this feedback a lot that 
you know, sometimes we're too, we're too soft or we're too scared to, to really be upfront and ask somebody, whether it's ask for money or ask for their real opinion on something. And, and I think women in general probably have a softer presentation style or a, a softer approach, which actually I don't think is a negative thing at all. You know, one other piece of feedback that we got that was interesting was that women tend to be more conservative or more realistic mm. about um, their prospects, whereas, you know, men might exaggerate more and, and, and be sort of much bolder in the ambitions or the projections that they put on a page, which, again, I don't necessarily think is the right approach, but it's something to be mindful of mm-hmm. because somebody else might be pitching to that same investor, pitching something 10 times as big. And even if it's 10 times as unrealistic, you know, that that might resonate more. Is there, is there anything you'd Yeah, I mean, I would have said be bolder as well, because that's yeah. definitely feedback we got. Be bolder, but also, I mean, communicate really clearly and really emphatically why you believe what you believe. And I think that we, I mean, that's something I think that we are both, we're both good at, but I think that being really clear about that from the beginning, right? And really standing behind your vision is is something that is really hard to do when you're out there, you know, you're out there fundraising. And as you said, it's, it's a lot of it's a numbers game, but also it's about finding the person who shares your vision, yeah. right? And not everyone is going to do that. And that's okay, right? Because also if everyone shared your vision, you probably don't have an original business idea, right? So in that way, I think that you have to be totally fine with rejection and know that that's coming and just get up the next day and do it again. And I think the same with a lot of things with sort of general advice about starting a business, same with fundraising, it's probably going to take longer than you think it will, Mm -hmm. especially the first time you Mm -hmm. do it. So I think be prepared for that and know that that's coming as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. How long did it take the first time? It's a good question. We started operating fairly quickly after we after we incorporate it. But I think it takes a while to get the business into a place where you really, really have found what they call product market fit. So people are buying your product, they understand it, you understand how to sell it and distribute it, you understand the messaging about how to how to explain it to people. And so I think your business goes through stages and and, and it becomes increasingly complex and nuanced as as you go Mm. through those stages. So you start off doing something relatively simple and and a lot of what you're doing is hustling. You're just trying to get somebody to buy something. And then as you grow, you start to really understand not only the, the kind of unique benefits of your product, but the unique gaps in the industry that you didn't understand when you first started. And inevitably you you shift your offering and you pivot and you mold it into something that's actually much more complex and defensible to build. So I don't think as as an entrepreneur, you ever get to the point where you're like, okay, now we're there. I think your business has to keep going through these shifts and stages, not only to keep pace with scale, but also to keep pace with what the market wants. But, and so it's, it's very hard to sort of put a timeline on how long it takes. I think we're still, we're still not there. And once we get there, the, the goalpost is going to shift. But I think people should be prepared for a couple of years until they're really in a place where they can say, I have a running, functioning, growing business. Yeah. On the functioning, growing side of the business, I would be interested to know what your take on this is. You know, people often say that one of the hardest things about managing a growing company is the people mm-hmm. that you bring on board. So how have you found it 
as the heads of the company in terms of, first of all, finding the right talent and then second of all, making sure that everything is operating smoothly. (laughs) So the people management side of things. Yeah, I mean, it is finding the right people, I agree, is, is, I mean, probably the number one challenge in running any successful business because you cannot do it alone, right? I mean, it's just not possible. And it's also not advisable. Like, why would you want to? No, I mean, hiring has been has been difficult in some ways. So there's some positions that are always hard to find exactly the right person. And I think we really hire for fit. And so finding the right people takes time. But I think if you're willing to be patient and really give people chances as well. Um, so we have, you know, our team for one thing is, is fantastic. We're really, really proud mm-hmm. and really excited about the people who work with us and feel really I guess, lucky that they also have wanted to leave potentially higher paying jobs to come work for, you know, the future prospect of feeder. And that's something that we're really, really excited about and are really, you know, glad that we have. I think if I look back a year ago, you know, we would be in meetings and one of us would always still be like, we have to make sure someone can, you know, check what's going on live and make sure that there's something can be responded to. And now I think we're at a place where we have a team that we can leave to do that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think if I think about people management, one of the biggest things I think about is like training and empowering and then knowing that you are going to have to let go of things. You are going to have to let someone do something for the first time without you being there to give advice or to ask questions to. And, you know, that's hard as a founder, I think. And that's hard as you know, a boss and a mentor and, and that's difficult, but that's also something you absolutely have to do. And you have to know that it's not always going to go perfect at the beginning, but that's how you and the whole team learns. I think one challenge for, for me, especially has been, you know, when you, when you have 10 people who are, you're choosing people and hiring people who are highly motivated people and really have so much potential to unlock. And that's why they're choosing to work for a high growth, exciting young startup and 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 you make a big promise to them when you when you bring them onto your team which is i'm going to give you the potential and the opportunity to fulfill all of that and more and i think one thing that definitely keeps liz and i really busy is thinking about each and every member of that team and where they are in their own personal career journey and what they can learn next and how we create tasks for the, tasks for them or we create opportunities for them in the business that allows them to go up to that next stage because because that's the only way that we can really motivate them and, and, and retain great talent like that. And that's something that I think inevitably takes up you know, 50% or a huge percentage of mm. ev- any founder's time, which is mm-hmm. thinking about how to get the most out of our people, not only for us to move forward as a business, but also for them to stay really engaged with what they're doing. That's really good advice. I asked this as someone who has only recently got team members. <laughs> You'll notice with this podcast, I just like to ask questions that benefit how I can grow my own company as well. Any founder as well should often sort of stop and assess really like the portfolio of things that's on their plate and and think about what they're doing and whether or not there's somebody in their team or there's a gap and they need to hire for somebody to do that, to do that, because in order to grow a business the way we need to grow it, we need to keep shifting those things off us so that we can go out and build build new things and then find somebody in the team to, to take that off us again. Yeah, no, yeah. I've uh, been told delegation, delegation, <laughs> delegation as Absolutely. much as you can. Absolutely. So looking back to when you were maybe 20 graduate at the start of your career, 
what's the the one thing that you wish you knew or you wish that someone had told you kind of looking ahead at the next Hmm. decade I think for me it would be that your career doesn't need to follow a set path so you know you're in you're in university and you know there are tracks and everybody's sort of siloed into thinking about different tracks that they can go down and how one experience leads to the other and I don't think we today I don't think we live in a world where there are obvious or predictable career trajectories I think people often bring a portfolio of interesting experience and and actually that can make them that they're really good at something else that they want to do that that they wouldn't necessarily anticipate so I would really encourage people to be very very open-minded with what they go what they do first and and even next like if something doesn't work or they're not happy somewhere try something else and not, and not to confine themselves to to very set I guess set routes that they they feel they have to take to have a successful career coming back to the team that we built you know we have people doing roles who who'd never done that role before they'd actually done something very different but there were there were similar traits or similar skill levels that they built and I think there's actually a lot of transfer transferability when when you look at you know the types of skills that you need in different industries yeah no it's it's interesting look if I look back on the various different women that I've had the absolute honor of interviewing here there's some that have you know changed career mm. four or five times and within less than a decade or 15 years and it's just because you know that's how it is now Mm-hmm. which my parents still can't quite get their head around. But I think that might be a generational thing. Liz, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I would agree with that one, is that I wish someone had told me that and be more comfortable in making my own jumps. So I definitely did jump. And, and I think, you know, while I imagine that now I will always be an entrepreneur in some way, I'm sure there'll be a jump in some other way at some point. I think for me, I was thinking about this and I find it slightly hard to articulate. I think I wish I knew that Things like starting a biz- your own business aren't about having this epiphany idea. I think I thought that to be an entrepreneur, I had to have this great idea and start there. And actually, so much of it is just about putting the work in. Mm-hmm. And it's about putting the work in every day, right? And questioning your assumptions and thinking about things. And and I mean, there's a core belief and idea to it, right? You have to believe in your business and, all, and that. But it's not about sitting around one day and having an epiphany idea to become an entrepreneur. It's about finding a gap in the market and working hard every day and putting the time in every day to to address that. And I think that's a misperception I had. And I wish I had known that earlier because I think I probably would have started a business earlier had that sort of been mm-hmm. my vision of how it would go. Yeah. And actually, I would add to that, if you can figure out very quickly what you're good at, then building a successful business is actually about getting a, a group of people together who collectively are good at lots of different things. And I think, you know, you, you, you don't have to be great at everything. You might just be really good at building relationships, in which case you can go out and bring together a bunch of people who are really good at the specific functions that you need. And I think if people think about it that way, or if I thought about it that way, it's, it's less daunting, the prospect. You don't need to do everything alone, or you don't need to be good at everything, or even anything alone you just need to be really motivated behind it as as Liz said and and you know assemble a, a team of people who who collectively can be great yeah that's really really good advice the other thing that you know we hear a lot about at the moment and it's not something that's going to disappear and given the fact that it's January as well it's definitely a big topic 
is the whole concept of work-life balance. <laughs> you know, that lovely phrase that gets kind of dropped around. Now, I, I'm not a massive fan of that phrase because in my head it, it provides me with this 50-50 scale in order to kind of make things happen. But what I would like to ask is with growing a business, how do you keep yourself kind of grounded in some way? So, you know, so no one wants to be burnt out. No one really wants to be highly stressed or mm. functioning on a minimum amount of sleep unless they're crazy and can do that with coffee. How do you try and have a bit of balance in your day to day with the company? So I think both of us know and really well understand that this is something we're building over the long term. And yes, there are certainly sprints and times when, you know, we're fundraising or it's, you know, really rapid growth month where it's like really, really sort of all in burnout periods. But most of the time, I think we both really believe in having balanced lives and making time for our friends and our families and having interests outside of work, it's something that we certainly both have and would definitely encourage amongst our team because that, you know, we, we want to be at the end of the day output oriented rather than hours oriented. And sometimes, you know, shorter bursts mean better productivity, but it, but it's a challenge because, you know, one thing everyone should know being an entrepreneur is that you never really switch off from it, mm -hmm. and no matter how hard you try. And it's it's the best thing and the worst thing about it because the best thing is that you, you know, it 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 becomes fluid with your life and you can't really separate your personal and professional. And, and it's just this great additional part of your life that sort of makes up you. Um, but the worst part is that you can't switch off and you can't really, you can't ever really compartmentalize um, <laughs> and, and any part of your life because they, they all flow into one another. And um, so as long as somebody's comfortable with that, then, you know, experience and enjoy the positives and know that it, it, you know, all the good things that come with it, like the opportunity to do things like this also mean that you're sort of always working. Your head's always a little bit in, in your business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would say I also hate the phrase work-life balance because it implies that like work is somehow separate from life. Yeah. Right. And like, but yet you're going to spend eight hours or more, definitely more if you're an entrepreneur, like doing that every day. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, that doesn't make any sense to me that you would say, oh, that's not my life. I have to have this life yeah. separate. Like yeah. you have to balance all the different parts of your life. And, you know, the work is a piece of that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and a, an important piece of that, that you love if you're an entrepreneur, right. Like exactly. you should love what you're doing, but definitely you have to stay sane. And I think for me, one of the things that I've learned is I think what I felt at the beginning was every time I wasn't working at the business, I felt guilty. Like I should be working at the business because there's always more to do. Yeah. Right. And there's always something that you're not doing if you're doing something else. And, but that didn't, doesn't give you the mental space mm -hmm. to like to disengage as much as you can. Right. I mean, as Rhea said, you're always working to some extent and you're never totally not, but to give yourself permission to disengage and socialize without feeling guilty about it gives you so much more energy when you come back to it. And that's something, at least for me, that's how I work is that if I switch off for a few hours, then I feel so much more engaged rather than trying to push through when you're really not achieving anything. And all you're doing is feeling guilty about not doing one thing and yeah. not doing something mm -hmm. else very effectively. So it's better just be effective in what you're actually doing, which means sometimes giving yourself permission. I said, have a social life. Like you can't not do that at all. Yeah. If you're going to be in this for but the marathon. I, but I would agree that loving what you do is a big part of making work really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah. If you had to summarise it, what's the one thing you absolutely love about what you do? When you have a really, really great idea about something in the business, you know, a creative idea or a campaign or a partnership or, you know, a new feature that you're going to launch and you get to implement that super quickly with a dynamic group of people. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Liz, what about you? Yeah. I love it. And actually, I experienced this today when you speak to your customers and your customers sort of tell back to you exactly why they want your product in exactly the way, the the same way that you're thinking about why you've created the product, right? Getting that feedback that comes from someone else's mouth about, well, I like it because it does X and Y and Z and I have this need. And I was like, yes, that's what we think too. And getting that, that sort of customer, that sort of customer feedback directly, that's the part I absolutely love. No, it's, you know, it's really lovely talking to you both because you can see or you hear when you're speaking just how enthusiastic you both are about what you're doing. And the other thing which you can't see, dear listener, is uh, your eyes are just like <laughs> sparkling like crazy, like you're super, super, super happy. If you know people want to find out more about Feeder or get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do that? So our website is teamfeeder.com and spelt T-E-A-M-F-E-E-D-R.com. And so you could always email us there at hello at teamfeeder.com. But I'd also say, please do reach out to us on a personal level as well via LinkedIn. So Rhea Grover and Liz Swanton or I mean, how else? Can, can they do that on Twitter? Twitter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter. Instagram, all Instagram, the social things. All the social things. <laughs> I mean, but, but we... We love to build, you know, we obviously get to know other female entrepreneurs, but also build partnerships with other interesting brands. So we'd always, always welcome reach outs on a personal level. Absolutely. Yeah. Vendors, customers, all of it. We're <laughs> lots, lots of really great things. And, and we love, yeah, partnerships with other brands that sort of share the same, especially share the same ethos that we do, right? Definitely. Healthy, and, and balanced I mean, food. And exactly. Balance. I was yeah. going to say being, you know, being in the business of getting healthy, balanced food into workplaces we find that it's great because a lot of our growth comes through word of mouth and through sort of organic means. So, so people just hear about us. Um, and actually that we really hope continues to be a huge source of our growth because we like to think that we're doing something very important and mission led. And, you know, if people can find us because they're like, that's something really cool. We'd love to get that into our office. or We'd love to have employees be able to log on and order meals from you guys. We, we, we work with companies in lots of different ways and, there's always a way to implement something like this in, in any workspace, whether it's companies paying for it or individuals paying for it or, you know, team food or, you know, buffets versus individual boxes. There's there's always a fit that we, we can find. So we, we encourage anybody to reach out to us. Awesome. Yeah. So there you go. If you are interested in healthy food and you want it at your desk, go and check out Team Feeder. Thank you so much for joining me for the first Geek Girl Meets in a very long time. I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. On that note, I have to do a very big thank you to Runway East. I am broadcasting from their podcast studio at Runway East Featherstone, only 50 metres away from the Silicon Roundabout. For those of you who don't know, Runway East is one of London's leading co-working operators and they are dedicated to helping startups grow with three sites in Shoreditch and in Morgan. 
if you are looking for a new home, you can get in touch by visiting their website, runwayea.st, and you can also get 20% off any hot desk or dedicated desk membership by just using the code Geek Girl Meets when you make an inquiry. On that note, Geek Girl Meetup UK have plenty of different events planned for the year ahead. So if you want to stay in the know, please go follow us on Twitter at GGM UK. You can check us out on Facebook with Geek Girl Meetup UK. And you can sign up to the newsletter to stay in the loop with all of the events that are coming up. And if you're a woman out there, sat there and thinking, hmm, I think I should be on this podcast you can also get in touch with us and we can make that happen. The more female role models we discover, the better. And that is why we are here. Until next week, goodbye. You can follow Geek Girl on Twitter at GGMUK. Sign up to our newsletter on the website at geekgirlmeetup.co.uk. And you can like our Facebook page, Geek Girl Meetup UK.